Romans chapter 12. We'll begin reading at the top of the chapter. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity, he that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the holy word. As we come to break the bread of life, the very words of God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be sober-minded in listening and in hearing and in preaching. I pray, Father, you would help us to to realize These are the very inspired, infallible, holy words of God. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we get into this chapter, uh, Paul is now giving us the practical application of all of the doctrine that he's been teaching us in the first 11 chapters. And as he goes through this chapter, he's saying the result of all of this mercy that we've seen, that you are not children of wrath. You are children of mercy. And that you've escaped the wrath to come. And that God has bestowed upon you righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ, by faith in your life. Understanding that, that we would present our our very bodies, our lives, that we would lay them down. And we, we spoke of that last time as one passion. Our one passion as God's passion is for His glory, that we would find our holy passion in God's glory. That we would be like little reflective images reflecting back to God His magnificence in how that we live. And it's from that response of love that He loved us with a love that it's hard for us to comprehend how so great a God could love someone like me. It's mind-boggling. And so we respond in love saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving me so much for these great mercies. And that love transforms. It transforms. And we are being transformed by that love. We're being transformed in our minds through truth and practice. 
And we come to realize through all of this teaching that we were born conformed to the world. And you are born again to become transformed children of another world. And so the groundwork that we see for this transformation in Romans 12 is humility. As he begins that in verse 3, he's going to say, not to think too highly of yourselves. So humility. And isn't it interesting, us just coming out of a foot washing service, and you think about John 13, what did Christ demonstrate as the Lord of glory to be the example for us? Humility. Humility. And he'll begin here in verse 3 and talk about This transformation begins in our humble minds and being transformed to be like Christ in our minds. And then he'll argue that that transformation also takes place because you're one together in Christ. This is one body of believers. And then he will speak of the fact that God gives gifts. He gives gifts to us so that we can continue being transformed and become more and more like Christ in character. And all of this is done by love and in love. Because that last verse I read there, he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cling to that which is good. And then he'll end this whole chapter by saying, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And the only way we can do that is with the very love of Christ dwelling in us and amongst us. Paul even began the letter. Uh, I was thinking about where we are now in chapter 12, and I went back and reread, you know, the first 11 chapters before today, thinking about that. And in the very beginning, Paul had said in Romans 1 and verse 11, he said, For I long to see you. You could see this love that Paul had for the church at Rome, even though he had never been there. He said, I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. And he's talking here in verse 12 about what those gifts are that have been given so that we might love each other in mutual edification. And the next verse there in chapter 1, Paul says, That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So this mutual faith that we have and the gifts given is for our mutual faith, our mutual comfort, our mutual edification, that we might all grow in grace and understanding and keep the world, stiff-arm the world. The world is always, always, always trying to creep into your thoughts and your life. And if you're in Christ, this is what a transformed life looks like. Your transformation into humble servants is so that you might be like Christ and wash each other's feet with the gifts the Spirit gives you, overcoming sin with love. Your transformation into humble servants is so that you might be like Christ and wash each other's feet with the gifts the Spirit gives you, Overcoming sin with love. The kingdom of Christ is a successful kingdom, is it? 
Isn't it? It's always successful. And it's growing and it's expanding in this present evil world in the church. And it triumphs. And this is how it triumphs. This is, he's telling us this is how the practical working out of the transformed life works out in the life of the church and the world. Number one we'll take a look at today and how you are transformed in your thinking about yourself and others. Secondly, we'll look at how you are being transformed and how you live in community with others. And finally, we'll just wrap up with stating that you will love good and hate evil. And you will overcome evil with good. And that's going to be a theme. That third point is going to be running throughout the rest of this chapter. So let's pick up in verse 3 here and let's dig in for a few minutes. For I say, through the grace given unto me... And so verse 3 and verse 4 begin with a for. That little word for, which means Paul is arguing something. He's arguing that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might choose good and acceptable and perfect things, which is the will of God. So he's arguing that these are, this is the groundwork for being able to choose God's will in your life. So that you might choose what is acceptable and good, the perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me. And in verse 3, he's laying the groundwork that humility is like the first fruit in the Christian life after faith. God gives us faith. I, I believe that's a gift of grace. And one of the first sprouts that sprout up in there is love and humility. For I say through the grace given unto me. And just to think about how Paul is speaking here. He's actually setting in the example of how to speak in humility. Whenever Paul says, for I say through the grace given unto me, what he's really saying is, by apostolic authority. I'm giving you these commands. I'm telling you, this is how we are to be. But he says it this way. He says, through the grace given unto me. Isn't that a humble, gracious way to speak? In authority? Because Paul had all authority. These words that you're hearing today are coming in the same authority that Paul wrote them and spoke them. He says, for I say, through the grace given unto me. Paul would speak the same way in Ephesians 3.8 when he said, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? He said, through the grace given, he says that the same way there in Ephesians 3 8. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. This is to everyone that is here, to every man that is among you, every woman, every child. This is to everyone here today. You are to have a sober assessment of yourself. You're to think soberly about yourself. And the idea behind that sober thinking is sane thinking. To be sane 
in our thinking, we must understand who God is and who we are. If you don't know who God is and you don't bow down at the thrice holy God, you're going to think you're God. And we're all going to struggle with that from time to time. To think soberly of who we are, ourselves is not to think too highly of ourselves. If y'all remember, we did a message not too long ago in Matthew 18, 3. And Jesus said, Truly I say unto you, except you be converted and be like little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So childlike thinking is humble thinking. Again, it's understanding who the parents are and who the child is. The position, the roles, the authority. And all of that is for our good and for our joy. You were born conformed to this world and to the curse, which is to believe that you're God of your own universe. And that your thinking is right and everyone else's is wrong. But in the church, we're not to think too highly but we think of ourselves, we have a right, sober assessment of who we are. Proverbs twenty six twelve says, Do you see a person wise in their own conceit? There's more hope of a fool than of him. Pride is a uh, destroyer. Pride goes before the fall. So we are not to have too high of assessment of ourselves. Now that's probably where we err the most. We always think a little too highly of ourselves. The opposite of that is to think too lowly of yourself. You see, there is a proper sober assessment that's not too high and not too low. Some who have been humbled tend to think too lowly of themselves and how they ought to think. And their tendency is towards self-abhorrence, which would lead them to withholding the use of their gifts in the church that Paul is going to talk about today in this text. And I believe that's the direction of the verse in Hebrews 12, 12, where he says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, And the feeble knees. There are some who are weaker than others. And there are times when we see the weakness of our fellow brothers and sisters in the congregation. And what do we do in love? We run to fill that gap in love. I'll give you an example. Maybe it happened this morning. Maybe not. Uh, Maybe some of y'all came and mama didn't come today. And so the husband or the children have to step up and prepare the food for the ministering of the food today in the congregation. And so whenever someone's not there or someone's sick or or something's going on, a person's going through a trial, a dark period, then we in love, we run to fill the gap with our gifts. So we're not to think too highly of ourselves. We're not to think too lowly of ourselves. False humility can also creep in to the life of the believer. So this right assessment we're to have sometimes can leak out in pride like this. I heard a pastor speaking and he said there was a more mature believer talking to a less mature believer. He just put it that way. And he said, the less mature believer said, dear brother, I would just pray for you that I might see myself as nothing. And the more mature believer said, you are nothing, brother. Take it by faith. So what we see leaking out there is maybe he's fishing for, you know, a compliment. Oh, you're not that low. 
You're not that bad. And of course, there was kindness in the response there of the believer because if he would have said, you know, you're right, you're just, you're just too proud, you're just too filled with yourself, then that person probably would have been offended. And so the, the deceitfulness of our heart and our self-assessments, we need the Word and the Spirit to help us. Humility will help us with that. So how do you think about yourself? What is your assessment of yourself? This sin nature we have leads us to either think much of ourselves or not enough of us. Or not enough of ourselves. We, we have a tendency to think of ourselves too much and not enough of Christ. This is the whole problem with the doctrine of self-esteem. The more Christ-esteem we have, the more of a sober assessment we will have of ourselves. Christ was the most balanced person in this that ever lived. That's why we've got to saturate ourselves with His life. Be reading about Christ's demeanor and how He dealt with people because we can see true humility there, which is not weakness. The Lord of glory washed feet. And that was not a sign of weakness. It was a sign of strength. The Apostle Apostle Paul also had a proper assessment of himself, I think, in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Where y'all remember he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He's basically saying there, he says, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out His special favor on me. Whatever I am now, if there's any good in me, it's because God poured out His special favor on me. And not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, and yet it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. So we are what we are by the grace of God. We are God's workmanship, so we don't need to make too little of that, and we don't need to make too much of it. We need the Spirit and wisdom to be able to do that, to think soberly as we ought to think. And then he goes on there and says, According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So, Father, our dear loving Father, in His perfect wisdom and understanding, has given to each of you exactly what you need to overcome evil with good. To work in the body with your gifts. He's given you what you need according to the measure of faith that He gives you. He is the sovereign Lord. He knows what you need. Doesn't He? And so we don't need to say, well, I wish I just had more faith like so-and-so. I wish I was more like... No. You are what you are by the grace of God. God loves you. He's called you. He's gifted you. He's created you to serve Him and to love Him in living sacrifice. What a joy and a pleasure to be able to do anything in God's kingdom. Wouldn't it be better to be a janitor for God than to be king of the world? So we are to think soberly as we ought to think. If you notice here also in these two verses, count how many times he says think. He says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think, of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, 
according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. In that one verse there. So three times he said, think, think, think. That word there uh, means to make a right estimate. To make a right estimate. There was one commentary I read that paraphrased it this way. And this is really good. So he paraphrased this verse like this. I say through the grace that is given to me, to every one of you, that you should not estimate yourself beyond what you should estimate, but that you should estimate yourself in such a way as to have a sensible estimate of yourself. So think, think, think. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind, and it begins with having a proper assessment of ourself. So from the mercies of God and our transformation of grace, we seek to renew our minds and how we think about ourselves in humility. And this leads us to our next point, which is you are transformed in how you live in community with others. This is the reality of how... This is already going on right now in this body of believers. In verse 3, he says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. So the second argument here for Paul, for God's will in your life, for this transformation, is that you are now in union with Christ in the body. If you're in union with Christ, you're going to be different. It's going to change everything in your life. To have that spiritual, vital union. is That term vital union is used amongst commentators. It means just a living union. The men are studying the book, Union with Christ, and studying about this vital, living connection that we have with Jesus Christ right now on the right hand of God, whereby we have access to all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. All the strength, all the resources you need for your life, you have access to by faith in Christ. For as we have many members in one body. Y'all ever heard that statement, unity and diversity? That's a popular slogan that the business world latched onto some time ago when diversity became the uh, corporate buzzword. But you know where it's found first? The body of Christ. Unity in diversity. One of the most beautiful things about humanity is all of the different, diversity, different kinds of people God has created in cultures and foods and songs and music. It's just beautiful. It's glorious. We are the model for unity and diversity for the world. This is the unity and diversity that transforms us our churches and our communities and the world. Unity, we're in Christ, we're all in union with Christ. Diversity means everybody has a different gift to bring to the table for each other. And we rejoice that God is calling out so many people with so many different gifts. Isn't that great? That He has so many different gifts. Uh, We do not envy 
If that ever creeps up in a believer, you'll be convicted by that and you'll stop it. It can creep up in you to envy somebody else's gifts or calling. But if you remember back in Romans 129, you know what that epitaph on the tomb of the wicked is? They are full of envy. So it's, that's not the church of Christ. And we have to guard against that. We rejoice that there's so many different gifts that God has given for our mutual edification, for our mutual growth in grace, for our mutual love. That There is so much of a diversity of gifts in the church. He's given us everything we need, believer, to make it through this dark world. And just... There's no individuals who will be saved apart from a community of faith. I know there's times when believers are thrown in prison for years and separated. I know that many times what they find in prison is that there's a little church there already. So even there, there's a unity of believers. But if there's somebody who thinks, I can stay home, I can watch church on television, I cannot have any fellowship, any communion not go to the communion table, not do any of that. That's just not true. You can't grow and be vital and healthy in your Christian life. If you're a true believer, you will seek out fellowship and communion. You need it, I need it, and you need it. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We need people to love us, to come to us and said, stop that, you need to stop. I had my daughter tell me that this week. Dad, you don't need to say that in front of the kids. You said, you're right. I don't need to say that for the kids. We need each other. We're one body in Christ. Remember John 15, 4? Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except you abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. We can't have the vital... It's impossible for somebody to be apart from the community of faith and be in vital union with Christ. Paul has talked about this in many other places. If y'all remember in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, he says, For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. And then a couple chapters later in chapter 12, he would say, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So he's, he's going through the same teaching there. The body of Christ, simple illustration, isn't it? Illustration of a body. I need my hands, I need my feet, I need my knees. I got one that's going out, but I need it. We need our ears. We, we need every part of our body for this body to function. And that is the way it is in Christ. If you're born into Christ, you are born into a spirit of love and graciousness, a community whereby the very lifeblood of Christ is flowing to you from Him and through each other as everyone is indwelt with the Holy Spirit of life. And this amazes us. Isn't it amazing that God would give us such gifts and love us so much to give us everything we need? That's great, isn't it? 
And that's opposite to the world. The world is always setting someone against someone else. Whether it be male against female, black against white, Democrat against Republican, they're all about division and strife. It's constant. And if you feed on that, it'll make you sick. You can't feed on that, believer. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, he said, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me. See, he's saying that again. God gave me grace. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds thereon. But everyone take heed how they build. Every one of us, through these gifts that are given, are building on what? Jesus Christ. The wise man built his house upon the right. That's the best theology you will ever learn. And you learn it when you're this high. And kids don't ever depart from that. If you don't build on that, you're building on sand. And we build on that through these gifts that he has given us. This is how we are being transformed and prepared for the next world. In Ephesians 4.15, he uses this illustration in a little bit different way. Talking about this body, unity and diversity, and how we're all connected as members of a body. He says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things which is the head, even Christ. How do we grow up and become more like our big brother? By speaking the truth in love to one another. And every opportunity we get, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. So this whole body is connected. And it's compacted by that which every joint supplies us. Every joint has something that supplies that makes it all stick together. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, The Holy Spirit is working in every part effectually with power. And He's making increase of this body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's the picture in Romans 12 too. So Paul is arguing here in verse 3 and 4 that those that are in Christ are transformed and being transformed. So that they might choose right that they might choose God's will, which is the perfect right. And the first argument he has is that we've got to first have a proper estimate. If you come in here filled with pride, is that going to work? Are we going to be unified if we're not first humble in mind? And the second argument is if you're in Christ, you will be humble and you will minister to the body using your gifts. And so he goes on now in verses 6 through 9 and talks about these gifts. He says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophecy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. Or he that exhorts on exhortation. He that gives, let him do it with simplicity. He that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. This love without dissimulation is working in your life to overcome the evil sin nature that you have. And it's working to overcome that sin nature in each other. And then in the rest of the chapter, he's going to talk about how we overcome evil in the world. Through love. And through these love gifts. So this list of gifts here, there are 19 gifts in five different lists in the New Testament. There are about seven here. Now, sometimes different words are used to describe the same gift, so it might be less than 19 gifts, but that's a best estimate. There's 19 gifts in five different lists in the New Testament. And so what we see, what do we learn from that? That each one's not exactly the same. They're a little bit different. There are some similarities. Well, there's a great variety and mixture of these gifts in each of you. It's not that, you know, you only have the gift of mercy and you only have the gift of... There's a great variety and mixture of these gifts in every one of you. And there are particular offices that are called out with a particular gift for as we know, preaching and and deacons. But there are many other gifts that all of you already have if you're in Christ. These were given to use here in this local body so that you can help us all overcome sin and that you can help the whole body be edified in love. And I'll just tell you, if you can love people who you know the best, you can love anybody. You know who the hardest people to love are? Sometimes. I wouldn't say all the time. Sometimes the hardest people to love are the ones you know the best. Even in our family, sometimes. But why is that? It's because we all have that sin nature in us. And we've got judgmental eyes. And we see everything that's wrong. And if you come here as a person who sees everything that's wrong with the preaching, first of all, you're going to shut down and you won't be able to hear what the Word is delivering through a sinful man. But you've got to be able to come in here with a spirit of love and graciousness overlooking the stammering tongue and see what is the Lord teaching me through this broken vessel. And He's doing that in each of our lives. All of us are broken vessels. And grace is leaking out. And we ought to get it all over each other. Right? Just let's get grace. Shower the grace. Let it flow through. The dead sea, the water flows into it and stops. And it's a dead sea. Nothing can live there. But in the Sea of Galilee, the water flows through it. And it's full of life. The Holy Spirit flows through us through the cracks in our lives, and we shower that love and let that love, loving spirit, flow through us into the lives of others. And so we have to love each other, and this grace will help you to do that. And it's possible. We know that even in Corinth, division had crept up early, right? I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. And so we saw the first... Landmarkers. We saw the first people rising up there saying, no, this, this is the true extension of the church here. No, this is the true extension of the church here. 
And, and Paul said, no. And he got onto a couple of sisters, right? Didn't he? For having dissensions. One of their names was, was it Chloe? So he got onto them. So it's easy for dissension to creep up in here. And we got to remember that and let love flow through us. And if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. Sometimes we hold back on loving each other and ministering to each other because we're worried about what people think about us or we're worried they already know too much about us or we start thinking about what other people think. And we all do this from time to time. But this loving, it says in verse 9, he said, let it be without dissimulation and and sincerity, which means taking the mask off. We have to be who we are by the grace of God. We have to be honest with each other and ourselves. And we have to fear God first. And if we're serving Him in sincerity and truth, we have to not be worried about what people are thinking. We have to be only worried about who, what, who's thinking. Our Savior. Lord, I want to serve you. My eyes are on Him, not on the people. We've got to keep our eyes on Him and away from self so that we might serve Him with our gifts that exist here today. This, it says, having then, just to point out to you where it says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is in us. That's a present tense verb. So that's true. It's, it's real right now in the room. Having then gifts. You've got them. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got them. Gifts is the word charismata. It means a favor which one receives without any merit of their own. So this gift you've given, you didn't earn. It was given to you without merit. God said, I'm going to give you this gracious, glorious gift. Y'all remember in the Chronicles of Narnia where the kids are given these gifts? So that they might fight a good warfare. They were all given a special gift unique to them. And they didn't envy each other's gifts. They knew that that gift was perfectly fitted for that child. It's the same for you. Your gifts are perfectly fitted for you. And you have them. Having then gifts differing. The word differing means surpassing or excellent. These gifts are surpassing and excellent gifts. Not to be made light of. And this spirit of life the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He interacts with us like a, a master artist who designed you from your mother's womb as a masterpiece. And even now, He's tweaking His masterpieces through these gifts that He gives with other art forms. Wouldn't that be crazy if you went to an art museum and all of the works of art were tweaking each other and making them more and more beautiful? That's what's going on. He's doing that. That's what He is doing. Let us have eyes to see it. Help us rejoice in it. John Murray said this in his commentary, talking about the church. He said, They have property in one another, and therefore in one another's gifts and graces. You hear that? The church, you have property in each other. 
They have property in one another, and therefore in one another's gifts and graces. They have a right to your gift, and you have a right to theirs. And you cheat them if you do not use it, and you are poorer in your walk of faith if you don't use it and depend on them for theirs. These gifts exist for the church and for us to be the salt of the earth in this world. According to the proportion of faith, that's similar to what Paul has already said, proportion of faith. He said, measure of faith before here. We use these gifts according to the proportion of faith. Proportion means, it's a compound word. Paul, it's amazing how many times as I'm reading the scriptures that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, creates a new word. In Greek, Greek it's easy to do because the words can be fitted together like Legos. He, He creates a new word here, a compound word, proportion, which means into the midst, the first part, and the second part is logos. So, word into the midst. The word preached goes into your midst. The word through your reading and meditation and prayer is coming into the midst of your very soul and into the midst of this church. And then we take that word and we go with it. Go into all the earth. Marvin and Nathan are about to go. How we need to be praying that God would bless that. And that it would be the greatest revival that Africa could ever see or would ever see. You know, it's possible. Do we believe that's possible? Taking word into the midst through this proportion of faith according to the proportion of faith. We all are using these gifts to edify one another and to help each other grow. Preaching is first, then ministering, and then teaching. And ministry means those who execute the commands of others. It could be anything. Anything that you're doing to help wash the feet of another person. Teaching is to impart instructions. We do that from pulpit Parents do that to each other. We do that to one another. We do it in men's and women's Bible studies. We have that set up within our church in various ways for that to happen. We meet Sunday twice most of the time. We go to Benton Village into their midst and we take this. We have Wednesday night where we're continuing to ground ourselves in this word of truth so that when we go out in the world, we understand truth better. We have these men's and women's Bible study and the youth study. So we're grounding everybody with truth so you can be growing in your gifts and you can be the salt of the earth and going out in the midst of the church, your families, and the world with truth so that you might teach, so that you might minister, so that you might be a living epistle like in 2 Corinthians 3.2. You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. We take this word, not just a spoken word. We take a word that's written in our very lives. If people can't see it in us, it's fake. And it isn't always going to be perfect in us. But they will be able to see something different in us. They'll be able to see the light shine through. 
And we have to be patient. In 2 Timothy 2.24, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. We've got to be patient with one another. Verse 8, he says, Or they that exhorts on exhortation, giving with simplicity, ruling with diligence, showing mercy and cheerfulness. So exhort just means to call to one side for comfort, encouragement, and strength. To give just means to impart and to give over. What, what was the first thing John the Baptist said when they asked him, what must we do? And he answered them and said, he that has two coats, let him impart to one that has none, and he that has meat, let him do likewise. When we understand that that stuff's not ours anyway, it's been given to us. If it's been given to us, then we'll give also. With simplicity means mental honesty and no hypocrisy, free from pretense. And later in chapter 12, he says, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. We read in Proverbs about this gift of giving. He that has a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he gives his bread to the poor. Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the waters, and it shall come back to you after many days. And early church, in Acts 2.45, what do we read? It sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as everybody had need. Use hospitality one toward another without grudging. Don't grudge that, man, inflation's high right now, and my groceries, you know, I got a child that her grocery bill's gone up $400 a month because they got a big family. Don't begrudge that. Still invite people over. God's going to take care of you. It's not the first time we've had inflation. won't be the last, probably. He that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. So diligence, ruling with diligence, rule means to care for, superintend, or protect. Again, that, you see that gift in many of you. If you have responsibilities, you're caring for, you're superintending, you're protecting, you're guarding, you're giving attention to. With diligence means that you do it with earnestness and haste. Diligent. He that shows mercy with cheerfulness. And we come back to mercy. Isn't that interesting? Chapter begin. According by the mercies of God on you. If God has had mercy on you, what are you going to do? You're going to show mercy to others. And he adds there with cheerfulness. You know, people can do acts of mercy, forced acts of mercy. We read about them over there at the last day when they come to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, we did all these good works for you. He adds with cheerfulness. And cheerfulness is the word we get for hilarious. Full of joy. Full of joy. Our faces should reflect that we're filled with joy. If you go to a church that's filled with people that are all frowning, is there, you know, I know there's times we're distraught. There's times we're going to frown. There's no doubt about that. But we should think about, I need, I don't care how I'm feeling inside, I want to show people I do have some measure of joy. I am cheerful in my giving. I am cheerful in my ministry. Showing Mercy. That mercy there just means you're giving somebody aid in a trial. You're giving them kindness in a place where it was the last thing they expected. 
Isn't that what we received? We received mercy and forgiveness from the last place we would have ever expected it, from God, the writer of the Ten Commandments, the God who is both good and severe. We received mercy from Him. We could have received severity, but we got mercy and forgiveness and salvation. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Paul received mercy. He said, He obtained mercy that in Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. He does that to all of you. When God shows mercy on you and people see that you've been saved out of sin, out of rebellion to your parents and to authorities, you've been saved out of lust, sexual sin, getting involved emotionally with unbelievers, having friends who are living in fornication and wickedness. God's delivered you out. That's a mercy. Because if you hang around with people that are infected and diseased, you're going to get diseased. You've got to hang around the body where the gifts are working to help you grow in grace. Don't be weary in well-doing. We can get weary in this. We, again, we have to fight that tendency. Don't be weary in well-doing. I was thinking about an illustration again, another beautiful illustration for what God is doing in the church here. And I was thinking about the symphony. I looked up, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra has 27 violins, 9 violas, 6 cellos, 7 basses, 16 woodwinds, 13 brass, 5 percussions. And I started thinking, what if the, if the brass tried to pay, play the violin's part? And what if the woodwinds tried to play the brass? Or what if they tried to be the chorus? What would Beethoven sound like if everybody was not playing their role? Would it be attractive? Would it be beautiful or painful? But when all is in harmony and everyone is obedient to the conductor and their eyes are on the conductor and they're following the conductor and they're following the rules of the music, what glorious beauty there is. That's what you're called to. You're called to be beautiful, so beautiful in the world that people would be drawn here and attracted here. And then in verse 9 he says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. You will overcome evil with good. That's what we're called to. And this is the way we do it. We do it through the church, through love. Love without dissimulation just means with, let love be unfeigned. Let it be constant. Let brotherly love continue. Many different ways Paul will say this in many of his writings. The Holy Spirit will say this as he says to us. Let love continue. Love one another. And what is In Corinthians the 13, the love chapter, what does it say? What is the greatest of all gifts? Faith, hope, and love. But there's going to come a time when you're not going to need faith anymore because you're going to be in the presence of Christ. You're not going to need hope anymore. But love continues forever. And the greatest of these 
is love. And it's the love that will be the glue that holds all of these things together as we are called out of the world to be separate, to be different, to love one another through this perfect mosaic of gifts and edification of one another and ministering to each other. Let us love one another and use our gifts. And so I have sought today, like Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.6, Wherefore, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God that is in you. Stir it up. Think about it. So that your transformation into humble saints is that you might be like Christ and wash each other's feet with the gifts the Spirit gives you, overcoming sin with love. You have a gift. The body needs it. Use your gift in such a way that you look forward to hearing on that day when Christ says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That day is coming. It is coming. Are you amazed at the mercies of God and what He's doing and what He has done? What are your gifts? How are you using them? Think about that. Think about that. And when you see those giftings of the Holy Spirit that have been freely given to you, praise Him, rejoice in them, and then ask for wisdom and how you might use them better to serve this body here at Fellowship. If there's anyone here who's going through a trial or or need Marvin and I to pray with you, let us know. And if you're weary and heavy laden with a burden of sin or anything that's going on, Christ says, come unto me, you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the only one that can give it. I can't, but He can. So come to Christ. Trust Christ. He's worthy to be praised.